tonight, James chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be looking at two verses. Verse 19, we read, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, it was on June 18th of this year, I woke up in the morning that day and did what I do sometimes, and I I flipped on the news. And there was the report of what had happened the night before in Charleston, South Carolina, a shooting in a church. A man comes in armed with a gun, spends an hour in the gathering that was a prayer meeting and then opens fire killing nine people at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And it was a hate crime. It was racially motivated. And the following day, as the news went out, the nation braced itself for another Ferguson, another Baltimore. People were expecting riots and anger and outrage. What they witnessed, though, was an incredible display of love and forgiveness, an incredible display of the gospel being lived out. And that story didn't get near the press that it should have in our national news. But it happened when families on the following day, on June 19th, were in court as the man who had done the shooting had been captured and he had come before his arraignment and several of the family members whose whose loved ones were killed by this man, they were there in court stating their forgiveness to this man who murdered their loved ones. And they told him, they, they said, we forgive him because Christ has forgiven us. It was amazing. Now, they, didn't, they weren't excusing what he did, and they, it wasn't that they didn't want him punished, but personally in their hearts, they had forgiven him, and it was absolutely amazing. It was quite a statement of love and grace and the forgiveness of God on display in a community in a huge way. In fact, their actions led that state to finally and permanently take down the Confederate flag. It was amazing. And in the midst of a great tragedy, there was this great win for the gospel and this great win for the church of Jesus Christ as a whole. And and there was great awe in their display as well as great rejoicing. And what those believers exemplified in Charleston, South Carolina was the complete opposite of what people were expecting. It, was, it, would just, it would blew people's minds. I mean, they were just like, I can't believe this. Because what people were expecting was anger and wrath and cries of vengeance, but the opposite was the case. In fact, it reminded me of the words of our Lord as he hung there on the cross. And there were the jeers, and there were those who had, you know, just been shouting, crucify him, and, and, and Jesus hanging there from the cross cries out and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they are doing. And Jesus' words there on the cross reveal to us an important truth that we often forget, that there is a deception that accompanies sin. 
that people are blinded by their sin, the Bible teaches us. And they're blinded by the enemy of their souls. It's one of the reasons why we read over and over again in the Gospels that when Jesus sees a multitude, that it says he would look upon them with compassion because he saw them as being like sheep without a shepherd, just wandering aimlessly, blinded in their sin. And we, we forget that. And now we who are saved often forget what it was like to be lost. You see, too often in our society, Christians can come across as angry and even hateful. And their anger oftentimes isn't so much directed at sin, but it's at the sinner. And the compassion of Jesus Christ that that he felt toward the multitudes and the compassion that Jesus showed toward us when we were lost in our sin oftentimes is lacking from our lives. And so I felt the Lord impress upon my heart this week to have us look at this passage once again here in the book of James, but to see it from a little bit different viewpoint. On Sunday, we looked at these verses in context, in the context of chapter one, which really has a lot to do with with trials. And the believers that James was writing to were going through great persecution. And in times of trials, it's easy to grow cynical. It's easy to get angry. It's easy to start complaining when everything is going wrong in our lives, right? It's easy to just get to that place like, I just hate this and what's going on. In that context, we see the relevance of what James is saying here when when he says, be swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath. He's like telling us in our trial to pause and, and, and don't give in to that temptation to be cynical and to grow angry. But tonight I want us to consider these words from a different perspective. To see this instruction for us as believers living in a world that seems to be getting darker and darker by sin every single day. And a world that is becoming more and more anti-Jesus, a world where our morals are being challenged on every front. The legalization of gay marriage is one example, just one example of that. And the tendency of a lot of believers living in the face of this growing animosity toward the church and this darkness is to get angry and to complain and to even at times express angst. To be in that place where we're just like, Jesus, come quickly. Get us out of here, Lord. And my question to us, is that really the right heart? Now, don't misunderstand me. I, for one, am am very excited about Jesus coming back. And I, for one, am am just so looking forward to being in his presence and and seeing his face and being rid of of this body full of sin and the pain and all of that. So I'm excited, okay, about the coming of Jesus. I really, really am. I'm excited about it. But I also know that the scriptures tell us that the Father knows the day already. When, that, when Jesus is going to come. It's already been planned. And the Bible also tells us that the reason why he waits, the reason why there is this delay is that because his heart is so drawn towards the, those who are, are unbelievers and not saved that he's wanting to, them to come to repentance. 
So that's the reason we're told in 1 Peter chapter 3, for his delay. In fact, I always in groups like this, I love to just ask this question. How many of you have been saved less than 10 years? Raise your hand if you've been saved less than 10 years, okay? Keep your hand up for a minute. For those of you who have your hands up, aren't you glad Jesus didn't come back 11 years ago? Okay, now keep your hand up for a minute. The rest of you, look around the room for a minute at these people who have their hands up, okay? Some of these are your friends. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't come 11 years ago and these guys didn't have to go through the tribulation? You can put your hands down now, okay? But he waits and he desires that many would come still to know the Lord. So he's going to come at just the right time, and he desires that more souls would be saved. So here's the question that I want us to consider for a few minutes tonight. How then should we be living in that kind of world? Well, we need to recall, we need to think about the type of world that Jesus lived in. And maybe you don't know this. But Jesus lived in a time when Rome was in power and under the Roman Empire, immorality was rampant. In fact, this was their view of women. They, they said, they, it was written just kind of as one of their decrees, we have wives to bear children and keep the house and prostitutes for pleasure. That was just, it was legal, it was the norm, it was just the way they lived. Homosexuality in the Roman Empire was rampant rampant in the Roman Empire. And the Jewish people were living in, in this time where there were race wars and class wars and there was always, there was this huge tension between people and the Jewish people were living under an oppressive government that was politically corrupt to the extreme. I mean, it was way more than emails that you know shouldn't have been on the wrong server or whatever, Okay. Now, I'm not downplaying that at all. I mean, that's not good. But, I mean, it was way beyond that in the Roman world. It was crazy. It was wicked. It was immoral. And it's interesting, in the midst of all that, we don't see Jesus at all getting angry over any of that. Rather, we see him brokenhearted and seeing the effects of sin that it was having on the people around him. And again, that's why we read several times when he sees the multitude that his heart just breaks because he saw them as being with like sheep without a shepherd. And it's interesting that the only people we see Jesus in the Bible getting angry at is the religious hypocrites. And I find that very, very interesting. We're actually told in the Gospels that the common people, they came and heard Jesus gladly. That they, they called him. They, they actually said this of Jesus. He's the friend of sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. In other words, he was the friend of those who were the lowest common denominator and those who were considered the most sinful in that whole society. And those people felt comfortable in his presence, that he was always approachable. And the reason is this, is because he genuinely cared for people, a trait that oftentimes can be lacking in us, his church. When it comes to living as believers in this society, I think we need to pay attention to the words of James here, to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. A reason that we need to be swift to hear is because listening affirms people. Indeed, it is one of the highest forms of affirmation when we give some people the, the time to just listen to them. When we listen, we're showing that we value them. 
as a human being. When a boss stops by to ask an opinion of a secretary on an issue, you know, and he sits there and like is interested, like, hey, I want to know your opinion. When a, when a mother pauses, to, turns off the vacuum to listen to her child, or when a customer stops to ask a clerk, how are you doing today? You ever done that? And then they, they just like, you know, like they're so startled because people are used to just, you know, just wanting things from them. And those of you who work in the retail business, you know what that's like. I mean, it can be startling at times. But the thing that we need to realize is every, anytime we do that, we're acknowledging a person's, you know, we're acknowledging someone's personhood. We're acknowledging that this is someone that the Bible says has been made in the image of God. It's the Imago Dei. It's what the the theologians for centuries referred to in that verse there in Genesis when it says of mankind that we have been made in the image of God, that we are unique above all creation. We've been made for relationship. That's one of the things that makes us unique. First with God, but also with each other. And when I'm willing to listen to you, when I'm willing to hear your opinion or hear your perspective or hear your story, I'm acknowledging that I see you as a person who has been created in the image of God, that you are someone that God loves so much that he sent his son to leave heaven and come to this earth and die on a cross to pay the price for your sins. Your sins. And here's what's interesting. You know, most people love to talk about themselves. Have you noticed that? I mean, most people, you, you ask them something about themselves and they, they love, they, they get interested when we're interested in something that they're interested in. And they'll talk about it all day. I love to ask people, tell me your story. How, how'd you get where you're at today? You know, how'd you get, you know, and you're, tell me your situation. You know, I just love just random strangers sitting in a coffee shop and we start, hey, what's your story? If I have time to listen, I love, I love to do that. And you'd be surprised. People just, they love to do that. Being swift to hear portrays an attitude that says, I'm genuinely interested in you. And the world needs to see that in us. But let's be honest. You like it when someone gives you their undivided attention, don't you? Doesn't that make you feel special? I have a friend sometimes that when I talk to him, he's always scanning the room, you know? He's never like looking in my eyes. I never feel like he's listening. Sometimes I want to just say, I killed someone yesterday, just to see what he's going to say, you know? Or I just found out my wife's an alien, you know, just to see if he's listening to me at all, you know, kind of a thing. Because he's just like always, you know, here and there. And I'll be honest, I've been, I've been guilty of that too. I mean, that's part of my ADD, you know, that I just, it's hard sometimes to focus and, and concentrate. And I'm one of those people who love to multitask. I can be doing three things, you know, at once. I'm on the phone with my, you know, phone. I got my little earpiece in. I'm, I'm emailing somebody on my computer and I'm Facebooking somebody on my, on my iPad, you know. And my wife hates it when I do that. She gets so frustrated because she wants my undivided attention. She'll start talking to me and I, if I get distracted at least, she's like, I'll wait, now, what's interesting is when I'm talking to her, she can get up and walk out of the room, you know, and have no problem with that, but she wants my undivided attention, okay? Being swift to hear portrays an attitude that says, I'm genuinely interested in you. And again, the world needs to see that in us. The gay person that you work with, they need to see that in you. The guy at your work that is just abrasive and a pain, he needs to see that in you. 
That gal that you work with who just is, you know, has the checkered past and is just, you know, has some issues, she needs to see that from you. All of them just needing to know that they're loved. But here's the thing, too often believers are so quick to jump on our hobby horses and so quick to, to you know, to our launch out in one of our rants and, and to spout out truth. And, you know, we live in a culture that is becoming more and more isolated. Do you realize that? Through social media. We have thousands of Facebook friends, but nobody that we actually spend any real time with and have any real conversations with. And you go into places and everybody's, you know, on their device, right? Don't you hate to see that? My, my, my wife and I just, we go out to dinner sometimes and there's a guy and a gal and they're both sitting there, you know, and they're both... <laughs> texting or whatever on there. They're not talking to one another. And that's the world that we live in. And because social media and that type of thing is so huge, and because there are some Christians who are so vocal in the media, and oftentimes their posts are so negative, the perspective of the church toward the world is that we are mean and unloving. But you know, we can change that. And one of the ways that we can change that is by what James is talking about here. Being swift to hear. Open to engage someone who is not a Christ follower. Being swift to hear builds credibility with people that you really care for them. And again, the world needs to see that the church, that we as the body of Christ who are called to be salt and light, that we genuinely care for the people around us. We see a great example of this in Jesus in John chapter 4. Remember the story there? He comes to the, the well there in Samaria. He's a Jew. First of all, here's what's crazy. about Jews have no dealings. It's like the Hatfields and the McCoys. I mean, no dealings with the, the, the Samaritans. But there's Jesus in Samaria. He's at this well. Another thing that was just culturally not the norm is that men did not speak to women in that culture, especially in public. Women were just looked down upon. Jesus elevates that. Um, but they didn't speak to women in that way. Jesus dignified her by speaking to her. Plus, she, it, was, it was there during the hottest part of the day. And it's a very hot you know, culture. So think of like Palm Springs when it's 110. I mean, it's just hot. It's dry. Nobody goes out to the well at that time of the day unless they are ashamed of something and we, or they have something to hide. And for her, it was both. She'd been married five times. Now she was living with a guy. Had a string of, you know, a string of kids that all looked different, you know, because of these different relationships. And she was this woman with this seedy, checkered past. But Jesus was willing to speak to her, and he was patient, even willing to dialogue with her as she begins to talk, you know, questions about about worship. And she's trying to, you know, change the subject and that type of thing. But his patience and openness led to the conversation that changed her life. So we need to be swift to hear. Now, I'm not saying, though, that that doesn't mean that we don't speak, that we don't speak up or we don't speak truth. Just that if we want our truth to be heard, it would help if we were open to listen first. So James says, be swift to hear and slow to speak. He doesn't say don't speak at all, but he says be slow to speak. That means pick your words carefully. To pick your words carefully. 
And he realizes that being swift to hear, it helps me to be slow to speak. I see this all the time in counseling. When I was first a a young pastor and somebody would come in for counseling, oftentimes, you know, they would start, you know, talking about their issue and I would start thinking about a Bible verse that was kind of the answer to that and I would, you know, kind of chime in, well, this is what God's word says. And I found that what I was doing was I was just dealing with symptoms of people's problems. You know, we would talk about, oh, well, this thing and then it would be like, oh, that, that thing and And then the Lord just told me, you know, you need to be quiet. So now a lot of times what I do is I sit there and I just listen. They might talk for 45 minutes. I'm just listening and praying. Lord, show me what to do. But the whole time I'm looking and I'm praying and I'm asking God, what's the root issue here? What's the thing that's really at the heart of this issue and this problem? And that helps me to see that who I'm talking to is a person and not just a problem. It helps me to be able to do what Paul said when he said in Colossians that we should speak the truth in love. And Paul would say this in Colossians chapter 4, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. Now think about that. With grace and seasoned with salt. What do you do? What happens when you put salt on an open wound? Anybody? It stings. Yeah, you got a sore, you go down and jump in the ocean. It's like, oh, but it's going to heal. It's a bittersweet thing, right? Well, that's what the truth can be like when it's spoken in love. It's, it stings, but because of the grace... Because of the heart, because of, of the credibility and the sense that, hey, this person is, is really genuinely loves me, I'm going to receive this. We're to speak the truth, not to shrink back. We're not to give our opinions, but God's word. And people get, they get offended. It's like, hey, you know, it's not me. This is, this is God's word. But we also need to, as we're speaking that truth, to, to speak it with God's heart and his motive. Being swift to hear and slow to speak often results in us being slow to wrath. And that's something here that we should have, you know, that's a good thing because James declares the wrath of, of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And this is a verse that we should all have underlined or memorized in our mind is that when we get ticked off and we, you know, blow our stack, get hot under the, the collar, it doesn't produce anything good. Being swift to hear and slow to speak is not just good practice for us in society, but it's also good for us in the church. Jesus said of his church that the world would know us. How? By our love. By our love, our love for God, and our love for one another, and our love that is seen for the the lost world around us, and the, the, the church, we're a family, but we are a flawed family, right? I say all the time, we're a dysfunctional family. You know, some of you come from dysfunctional families and you just entered into a bigger one by, you know, entering into the church. But, yeah, we're, we're sinners and we're a work in progress, but we have a father who is committed to, to, to work in our hearts and to change us. And in every family, there's disagreements, right? You know, you have, how many of you have brothers and sisters? Okay, brothers and sisters. How many of you ever had a fight with your brother or sister? Okay, 
<laughs> yeah. Your kids fight and God's kids fight. It happens. We have disagreements. But when we're swift to hear and slow to speak, we learn how to disagree agreeably. We learn how to keep that unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 3, Paul writes, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others. The NIV version puts it this way, let each value others as better than himself. And one of the greatest ways that we can value and support each other in the body of Christ is by having a listening ear. It was Dr. James Dobson who said this in one of his books, for some strange reason, human beings tolerate stress and pressure much more easily if at least one other person knows that they're enduring it. Like there's something about when we are able to share with someone else who's going to like in prayer help us carry that burden. And if we learn to ask perceptive questions and we learn how to answer, we can be that one person in someone else's life in the body of Christ to help them through those burdens. Being swift to hear and slow to speak then, it strengthens each other. You see a friend, this happens sometimes. You come here to church, you see a friend or somebody that you know, and you say, hey, how's it going? How you doing, bro? And, and we all are waiting for the token answer, right? Hey, doing good, good to see you too, right? Well, what happens when you come walking in the door, you see your friend and, or somebody you know and go, hey, bro, hey, sis, how you doing? And you're expecting that token ask, answer, and they go, actually horrible. And now you're faced with a decision. I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't, am I going to pause? Am I going to engage? Am I going to stop and listen? I know there are times when that's not possible. Maybe you, you know, have something that you're doing here and you've got to go to teach a Sunday school class, but we should be willing to say, you know, I can't talk to you right now, but how about after service? Or how about we get together for coffee tomorrow? Expressing that willingness to be, to, to engage in somebody else's life. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, we're told to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's his law? To love one another as I have loved you. Now, think about this. Imagine how attractive this place would be if all of us were open and to, open to listen a little bit more. If all of us were just a little bit more open to attentively engaging with each other, you know what? Calvary Chapel Vista would be a place where people would feel like they could come and be real. It would be a place, and I'm not saying that it's not, but I think it would be much more a place where people could feel like they could come and and be real. That they could come and not have to put on a face that they would be loved upon, that they would be cared for, that they would know that when we speak the truth to them, because of the love, because of the willingness to engage, that they would know, hey, this is coming from somebody who's not just you know, pounding me over the head with their Bible, but this is coming from somebody that I know genuinely cares about me because we were willing to sit down and hear their story. Imagine how amazing our homes would be if they were places where we actually listened to one another. 
If husbands and wives actually stopped and paused and were willing to hear each other's hearts, if kids knew their parents were willing to engage and enter into their world and not just give them some quick advice, if kids felt like their parents actually wanted to hear their hearts and understand their perspectives. I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor Rob, that's just too hard. I don't have time for that. My week is crazy. But that's just so unrealistic. You know, it is hard. But I'll end with this. In Philippians chapter 2, that same passage, a few verses later, Paul the Apostle gives us this exhortation. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Yeah, it's not easy. But if we are willing, God can work this in us. But Paul says this, let this mind be in you. In other words, it's, it's not normal. It's not what your flesh wants, but if you let it, if you embrace it, if you lean into it, listen, your life will never be the same. Our church will never be the same. Your sphere of influence will be radically impacted. And I want us tonight, as we just enter now into this time of just worship, prayer, waiting upon the Lord, to just consider these words tonight. To just consider, maybe in your world, maybe that, that person that you just are like, you know, you put the wall up. And let's just consider what God would want to do with our hearts. And let's just rejoice in the fact that Jesus did leave heaven. That he stepped off of his throne. He allowed his deity to be concealed in his humanity, his glory to, be, to not be seen, and he became one of us. Obedient unto death so that we could be a part of this crazy awesome thing that he calls his family. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness and your grace, for your abounding love, Lord, toward us. And Lord, tonight, as we just consider this word and what it means to us as individuals living in a dark world. God, I pray that you would just help us right now to just consider this and to pray this in, but also, Lord, to rejoice in what you did for us. The grace, the compassion that you showed to us. Lord, we want to be those that show that to others. And so, Lord, we give you this time In Jesus' name, amen.